all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. Ben is back, Mary, Queen of Scots, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that mess. Jason, what the hell's going on with you? Well, thank you for asking. Uh, As we are sitting here today, uh, it is just four days after... The day uh, of which my membership in the San Francisco Film Critics Circle revolves around. And that day is our annual voting meeting Mm. for our official picks for best of the year. The meeting of the elders. Yes. Yeah. Lots of crones there. Uh, Especially our friend Ingu, Mm. uh, whose company... Queen of the crones. Yes. Crone queen. Um who I was able to sit next to, or rather wasn't able to, I was informed by her that I need to save her a seat because she was running late. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I had to just sort of clung to a chair uh, next to me while people were pushing in and around me. Uh, So yeah, so it's it's always a good time. Um, It takes on average between three and four hours. um, And it is, there's probably about like 36, 37 of us in the film critic circle. And, uh, and it is, so he, the, the structure for those of you who don't remember me probably going over this last year at this time. Nobody, nobody does. Okay. Uh, so it starts with an open ballot. Everyone submits their top five, their personal top five in all of our different categories. Um, and then we get a, um, a semi ballot that has the top five highest vote getters in every category. And then we then submit our top three ranked from each of those categories. Then finally, when we are together in the room, we are told only on a category by category basis what the final two are. So they don't tell us in advance. They don't tell us at the start of the voting. They wait until we get to each category. Then they say it's this versus this. And then we all fight. So, um, so you would think that I would appreciate the kind of almost reality TV producer uh, alchemy of it all. Yeah, and wait, do you do you vote then? Like, so you're like, it's between this one and that one, and, and then you like show of hands or what? Well, what they do is they open the floor for each one um, rather than just vote. Like, okay, so it came down to, um, a lot of things came down to like Roma and Black Klansmen. Uh, so it's not just like, okay, and for best director, it's Alfonso Cuaron for Roma and Spike Lee for Black Klansmen. And then the president, this dear man named Randy, um, just kind of sits back and then we all duke it out. And we do, we raise our hand. And so he like calls on us. It's a very sort of like teacher classroom thing. Um, and then. This is a fetish. And, uh, and then we just kind of go around and we all say our piece. And then, uh, and then inevitably it turns into personal attacks, mm-hmm, uh, turns mm-hmm. into um, sarcastic rejoinders to previous people's remarks, mm. um, and then it turns into Ingu just taking on all comers. So, um, and not giving even the hint of a shit um, about the way that she comes across. Or haven't seen any of the movies. Uh, right, yeah. She's like, I don't know, this is stupid. I'm going to vote for this. You're all racist, bye. 
Uh, <laughs> basically. I mean, she is walking Twitter. She is. She is. And she also was quite literally writing her Christmas cards. Um, I sent you a picture of that while it was happening. Yeah, did I get one? Uh, <laughs> I'm waiting w- for mine in the I mail. W- I was showing her our conversations. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so it was, so I can give you a quick rundown of our winners. Um, best film went to Roma. Uh, best director went to with the most by far the most contested category of the night. Best director went to Spike Lee for Black Klansman. Oh no! Best actor went to Ethan <laughs> Hawke for First Reform. Oh no! <laughs> best actress was Melissa McCarthy for Can You Ever Forgive Me? Wow! Best supporting actor was Michael B. Jordan for Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Best supporting actress uh, was Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. Mm. Best animated film was a film we're talking about tonight, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Spoiler, it's the pick of the week. Best documentary was Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, Best foreign film was also Roma. So that was the first time that we had uh, the same film win both both foreign and best picture. Wow. Uh, It's also one of those cases where this is something people get angry about um, because people are like, well, if I could know what the finalists are going into it, I could be strategic about what I support in what category. Mm. Because for foreign film, it came down to Roma and Cold War. And uh, and I think we all were more or less in agreement that we would have voted for Cold War for Best Foreign if we knew Roma was going to win Best Picture. Right, um, right. But uh, but they kind of don't let you game the system that way. They have to yeah. keep you, they, they keep you honest that's in the moment. That's fair. That's super. That's very smart of you. And then of them, not you. And then not you're, you. you're not smart. Not um, you. And then Black Landsman also won Best Adapted Screenplay, um, as well as I believe Best Score, uh, and then um, First Reformed won Original Screenplay. Wow. And then we gave the Marlon Riggs Award, um, our special um, our special award for boldness and innovation in the, in the Bay Area film community. Previous recipients include Friend of the Show, Peaches Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, we gave it to Boots Riley. Oh. Oh, I see. <laughs> the other woman. Mm. Sorry to bring up that name. I know it mm. is triggering. I know that the uh, there is still a lot of things that sets have, up shop at the corner of my street. Things have gone unsaid. <laughs> uh, steps have been taken that appear to be hostile. What did you call it? Grasshoppering? Is it leapfrogging? Yep. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> yeah. Woodchucking? Is that? <laughs> no, that's something completely different. <laughs> You're like, if I catch them doing that, so help me. <laughs> the answer is a lot of wood. <laughs> the angel question. It's building a dam, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, but wow. So basically, the first half, the first two hours, were just snoozeville city, um, and then the second half was just nonstop fights. And uh, sounds like Christmas. And and I kind of went into it thinking like I don't really actually care about anything this year um, because this year. If I'm being honest, and we'll talk about this more in our best of, I think it's been a pretty unremarkable year for films. Hmm. When I look at the movies that I think of as the best movies of the year, they're all movies that I like, but it's not something where I'm just like, oh man, like there are so many heavy hitters here. Hmm. Like I feel like there's not one that's like brings everyone united across the quadrants. Like every film kind of just appeals to a certain niche. Uh, hmm. And there's no sort of like just bombast like oh no this is this is an unmitigated masterpiece this is one for the ages like there's like not- there's no moonlight yeah there's no moonlight basically how about beale street well, well you'll we'll see talk when you about see that it. next week yeah we're reviewing that next week um but uh no beale street's for sure in my top five but it's also it's just not moonlight 
So, uh, and I do love it. It's fantastic. But, it, you know, he... It's, you heard it here first. Jason hates Beale Street. <laughs> just like he rooted for La La Land. Uh, <laughs> you remember that, don't you? And if you've just started listening to the show, I highly recommend you just go back towards the Oscars yeah. of that year, uh, two Oscars ago. You'll hear some times when Rebecca was spending a lot of time on black Twitter. Uh, <laughs> it's just called Twitter. You can't, you can't call it that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, uh, I in, in, on, on, on that subject, the only two times I decided to speak the entire time were against Black Klansmen. Um, I spoke against so it. You are you have a party line, mm-hmm. and it is race based. It's, it's firm. Um, I spoke out against it for adapted screenplay, um, and then I spoke out against it for best director. And but there was like all the old white people in the room were so fucking obsessed with Black Klansmen. Why? Like they? I mean, did you ever see it? No. That's I'm, I literally want to know why. Is it? Yeah. Like, tell me. <laughs> I want to know. I come here to get my movie reviews, not give them. <laughs> tell me, what am I missing? I mean, I genuinely am I'm flummoxed by it. I mean, I think that uh, I think it makes them feel in some way like better people if they like it. Uh, yeah. um, it also, you know, I think it kind of makes them feel like, because it has the bones of sort of like a really slick undercover thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, and just despite its very, very thinly sketched characters and like aggressively clunky dialogue. Um, and I should note that like I, in general, am in the minority on this movie. Um, I am a marginalized person <laughs> when it comes to Black Klansmen. <laughs> Who's and, the real victim here? Me. And uh, so... But yeah, so I tried speaking against it. And then when we were talking about your friend Boots, uh, we um, somebody piped up like, well, you know what? I just want to say that I don't like Boots Riley and I don't support him in this category because when he said, when he made that statement about Spike Lee and Black Klansmen, that was such poor form. How dare he? Who did he think he was to do that? Who said that? Uh, one of the guys in the film critic circle. Um, and it was just this weird thing that was just said and then allowed to stand for a very long time. Like no one challenged it. You didn't challenge that. I challenged it later. Okay. Um, and then also people were like, uh, how they're like, well, this, this cat, this category is for filmmakers. You know, he made one movie. Uh, and I was like, yeah, we gave it to Ryan Coogler for Fruitvale station. That was his first movie. Every filmmaker has a first movie. Right. You, that, that's what then makes you a filmmaker. Right. Yeah. There was a lot of bizarre. Yeah. The pushback against boots was discouraging. Um, you got my and, right in. And, <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they, you got to them. Um, like this, this anonymous <laughs> Follow Twitter the account. Money. <laughs> Open your eyes, sheeple. This says this account, act that Twitter fan, uh, <laughs> says that we should not, should not support Boots Riley. Uh, but yeah, no, then I brought up the Boots thing again um, when I tried to, during director, that was like the second to last category. And I was like, I raised my hand and I was like, I'm like, I have, I don't have any hopes of actually changing anyone's minds right now about Black Klansmen because I can see and feel that you all, the majority of you, feel very strongly in favor of it. I just want to log my dissent uh, and say <laughs> that I am, which I think Ingu had done earlier for something else. Um, oh, she, she the, also... The breakfast options? Well, she, <laughs> she's like, where's the Danishes? <laughs> fruit? Ugh, my dissent is logged. <laughs> Um, so, oh no, she also had a whole, like, she dropped, when we got to Best Animated Film, it came down to Spider-Verse versus Isle of Dogs. 
she had written me a note beforehand that said, like, I have a whole speech ready if Isle of Dogs is in the final two. <laughs> and then they said it. And then she ran up right away. And she basically was just like, if you like this, you're racist. Uh, and then and then just watch everyone, every like white person squirm in the room. And then eventually with people being like, I don't think that's true. And to be fair, she didn't actually say if you like this, you're racist. She was just saying the movie itself is racist. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, well, you're calling me racist. And she's like, that's not what I said. But uh, also maybe. Yeah, exactly. It's like, but, you know, maybe ask yourself. Do you see that when you watch this movie? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you understand? But uh, anyway, so yeah, so um, so director, I'm like, yeah, I'm logging my descent. I, you know, I, I, it was said earlier that what Boots Riley wrote about this movie was isn't somehow irresponsible and inappropriate, which is a very bizarre critique to me, and I don't agree. I think it was well within his rights to say it, and it made me basically it discredited the movie for me. I couldn't look the movie the same way after reading what Boots wrote. And then like three or four women turn around all at once, and white women, and we're just like. Well, what did it say? And um, and I was like kind of caught off guard uh, <laughs> because a like I wasn't expecting to actually have to like re- recite the points from it. Right. Right. And also their tone was very pointed and aggressive. Mm-hmm. And also um, I didn't think that no one else had read it. Right. Right. So I was like, are we all are we all not? professionals film critics yeah like shouldn't we be keeping up on such things um i'm like i'm like the most unprofessional film critic here and i read that shit (laughs) um so and then i just kind of stammered and stuttered because i couldn't remember like all the points and so i just kind of was like i'm looking i was like looking at ingu like hey like you can jump in i literally said i'm like feel free to jump in and she was just like Uh, (laughs) she was like you're on your own white man uh so uh yeah then i so i kind of stammered and stuttered about like oh well it's the whole like one bad apple cop thing da, 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 da. and um and then people just kind of and then somebody was like well that's not nothing to do with the movie uh you know like what, what do things have to what, what do things that impact the culture have to do with the movie mm. <laughs> and i was like everything <laughs> i think everything because this is a distinction i think between um kind of the, the main way that you and i are primary ethos in our reviews and like certain other critics mm-hmm, is we mm-hmm. kind of look at the sociocultural influence and impact as our first and foremost lens. Right. And I get right. very used to that because that's the only thing I do mm-hmm. uh, with you when we do this. But that's like not every critic thinks like that. Right. Right. Um, you know, there's a lot that are like much more like, well, what's the craft of the film? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's uh, fine for uh, a filmmaking class. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's fine for, um, yeah, certain discussions yeah you know that's a that's a whole world that's an amazing and we still talk about those things things. i think we just happen to lead with uh for us the first and foremost is a sociocultural influence responsibility and then comes the craft so like if a movie is like i think something like 13 hours going back to that you know Mm. which was what craft wise was a real crackerjack um action flick um, but in terms of a sociocultural Benghazi bonanza, right? But socioculturally, it was really vile. Uh, so Benghazi boogaloo. <laughs> we've made fun of it ever since. But <laughs> we anyway. should watch it for old times' sake. So then, so then you all yell at each other. Yeah, and then you do a show of hands, or then how does it? Yeah, how they we, decide which one? Yeah, we do a show of hands for each one, and then they count for best director. We also it was actually we had three people because there was a tie. Um, it was Spike Lee. Um, Alfonso Cuarón for Roma and Yorgos Lanthimos for the favorite, and uh, and then yeah, interesting. And, and then we wound up doing, um, no, I think I'm gonna say f- there were like five recounts 
because it was so close between um, Spike Lee and Corone. How long does this whole thing go on? It goes on for about four hours. Jesus Christ. Yes. Then when does she brought her cards? I want to go one time. <laughs> uh, just so I can be upset about it. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, that... So this is another one of those times where we've spent 15 minutes with the What's Up With You. <laughs> so let's just go right into the first review. You don't have anything you want to say? Uh, I don't have time. Um... <laughs> My time has been claimed. Uh, the first movie we're going to take you're, a look. You're declaiming your time. I'm declaiming. I've, it's been unclaimed from me. It's unclaimed luggage. Uh, the first movie we're going to take a look at this week is Ben is Back. 19-year-old Ben Burns unexpectedly returns to his family's suburban home on Christmas Eve. Ben's mom, Holly, is relieved and welcoming, but wary of her son's drug addiction. Over a turbulent 24 hours, new truths are revealed. And a mother's undying love gets put to the test as Holly does everything in her power to keep Ben clean. Oh my god, I can't believe it! Hi, Mom. I see you. Is it you? Is that Ben? Did you see? He's gained some weight and he's got the sparkle back in his eyes. He's clearly doing better. Well, then why are you hiding everything? We said we weren't going to do this again, remember? I agree. And if it weren't Christmas, you get a day. This time tomorrow, you are back in sober living. Yeah, okay. You do not leave my sight ever. Because for the next 24 hours, you are mine, all mine. Got it? I got it. He burns. I thought you were dead. This is one of those situations, one of our favorites, where we just got finished watching this movie. I, for the first time, Jason, for the third? You third, said? yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting one to watch three times. I don't know how you can do it. Uh, this time of year, you're always watching movies over and over and over again uh, it's only my very favorites that I can watch repeatedly well you know uh, the funny thing is this was one that I first saw at TIFF ding and then um, and then a few weeks ago uh, when the screeners first started to come in uh, I was like piling up in front, of, in front of Scott being like what do you want to watch and then he kind of in what I thought was a joking voice said like oh well let's do an addiction double feature <laughs> and I was like oh ha 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 and then I think we started off with Ben is back and then um, and he's like, okay, let's watch Beautiful Boy. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, wait, do you really want to do that? And he's like, oh, yeah, sure, why not? I'm like, and I'm like, that was like, I did take a deep breath in that moment. Mm. I was like, am I ready? <laughs> am I ready to watch Beautiful Boy after Ben is back? And did you see, you see both of them before, right? Well, you yeah, seen, I had seen Beautiful Boy with you. Um, when we, Oh, right. Yeah, we, mm-hmm. we saw I was there. <laughs> you were there. You saw that one. So we you reviewed had it. the uh, BB Addiction movie. Beautiful, uh, yeah. We beautiful had, boy, Ben. Be- beautiful boy is back. Beautiful Ben. Mm-hmm. Beautiful Ben is back. Uh, so, back boy. Uh, and then, yeah, and then watch it just now uh, with you. So, yeah, I feel intimately well-versed in Ben is back. Lucas Hedges stars as Ben. Right. Who's back. <laughs> beautiful boy I erased. wanted this movie so badly uh, to say Ben is back. They're like they mention his name a lot. They're like Ben. Oh, it's Ben. Ben and like, and then new people keep coming in the house, right? Because so he he starts off with him going back to his his family's home, and he uh, Julia Roberts pulls up his who plays his mother pulls up to the the yard, and she has her daughter, and then two other kids in the back. Four people see him. He's been gone. Someone's about to say it. Ben. Oh, it's Ben. And then the father comes in, who's played by Courtney B. Vance, and you're like waiting for him to say it. Nobody says Ben is back. Guys, if you don't know, Rebecca's favorite thing in any movie is if the title is spoken. I love it. 
especially if it's also in the trailer. And then we can all, uh, just run that <laughs> snippet of them saying the title as the full trailer clip. So good. Which I think there was maybe only one episode where we managed to do that for all three movies. Yeah, we did. I don't remember which one it was, but Oof. that was a glorious Wait. time. Oh, man. You just um, seen the look on her face. So I did spend most of the movie like kind of, you know, anxious about whether or not somebody was eventually going to say Ben is back because then he runs into like people in the community. Mm -hmm. I really thought someone was going to say it. Well, I feel like, yeah, your anxiety in the movie kind of around halfway through when you started to just talk openly about how you were hoping somebody's going to say Ben is back. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I decided to inform you that no one was going to say it. That was good. That was good of of you to do. And uh, since, uh, you know, I might as well make good use of the two previous viewings I'd had of it and let you know. I like ran through my mind. I'm like, does anyone ever say Ben is back? No, no, they don't. Because here's the thing. This movie, to me, plays like it's a thriller. Mm. Like I, there is so, I really felt like I didn't know what was going to happen. I felt like the movie played in a way that that anything could happen to any of the characters. And Mm. I and so I felt very like vulnerable right. um, to the possibility and very, very you know anxious and really kind of caught up in the story of, of what happens. Mm-hmm. And so having the one relief of knowing that Ben is back is never going to actually be uttered was nice. Yes. And uh, and when we talk about well, and Rebecca in particular talks about being very emotionally invested in the thriller of the movie and of not knowing what the fates of the characters would be. What she specifically means is there's a dog. Okay, so I knew you were going to say that, and that is also very true. But I really do mean for all of the characters. Oh. So the movie starts off, I, I, I'm going to talk about what I liked about this movie first. And okay. then we'll talk about what you liked about it, and then we'll move on to the next movie. <laughs> I like this movie. <laughs> you're, like, you're next. <laughs> oh, you want to talk about your day? I'm going to talk about the movies. <laughs> Shut your microphone off. <laughs> yeah, how am I claiming that time? There it is. There it is. Uh-huh. There it is. <laughs> um, ben comes home Julia Roberts uh, plays Holly His mother um, welcomes him with open arms The rest of the family is uh, Deservedly cautious uh, Ben uh, Is a recovering drug addict uh, Who's supposed to be away in rehab um, And Last Christmas was A nightmare And uh, and so you know the, Everyone's immediate response is to take him back And that he shouldn't be there, it's too soon um, and then, again, Courtney B. Vance, who plays um, Julie Roberts' husband, and they kind of have a, a talk about what's best, and they decide to let him stay for the 24 hours that is Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Another great holiday flick, mm-hmm. um, one for the one for the family to get around and watch. It's a lot like the My So-Called Life Christmas episode. Mm, I don't remember that one. Ridiculous. You hate me. <laughs> <laughs> so then you have this... The movie is 24 hours. Um, I like that. I mm-hmm. feel like, and you know, it's hard not to compare this a lot to Beautiful Boy, but in Beautiful Boy, time is confusing uh, a bit. It's a flat circle. It is. Time is a flat circle. Um, you don't know how far, how much time has, has passed often. Because like, it's kind of goes through like semesters as, as uh, Timothy Chalamet's character kind of like goes to school and then isn't in school anymore. And I was like, damn it. Now I lost the one thing I was like using to measure time. But it's it, you know I feel like that's a that's a thing to note when you're when you have these stories of like people falling apart and like how long have they been going through these um, physical issues uh, mm-hmm. of being a drug addict and then how long have has have the support system around them been going through like emotional hell so I think it's kind of nice that it was framed in this twenty four hour um, and basically you just spent the the next part of the movie once you realize like the time frame 
just wondering if he's going to fuck up, when that's going to happen. Um, and then and then everything gets ramped up a little bit more and then ramped up a little bit more. So I think your, the original tension of like, is he going to um, figure out a way to 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 use drugs again just keeps getting more and more intense. Um, thoughts? And then it turns into Benji is back. Oh, yeah. Benji is back. Uh, yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, I like the 24 hour structure of it. Um, I am a big fan of the first half of this movie. Mm. Uh, the first half of the movie plays out like a really kind of uncommonly intense, um, naturalistic, intense, but naturalistic drama. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's very much a domestic drama. It's a family drama. Um, and it it kind of throws you right in um, to the turmoil uh, that Ben brings with him mm-hmm. and the screenplay. So it's worth mentioning the writer and director of this film is named Peter Hedges, and he is the father of Lucas Hedges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they previously made the film Pieces of April, which is a mm-hmm. widespread favorite. Uh, so um, Peter Hedges' screenplay is pretty clever about. The way that the ways that it tips you off to like the backstory, mm, mm-hmm. like it doesn't like you know it, there's no voiceover like mm-hmm. you know a lesser film would have given like the sister a voiceover right, um, right. because she's kind of meant to be sort of like a, a voice of reason as it is who's like kind of not as emotionally invested like she's not as easy to manipulate mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. the mother is so but yeah um so yeah so he shows up and we we see the turmoil we there's a kind of a nice switcheroo where. Um, whenever he first shows up in the beginning, you think you're watching like a really heartwarming family reunion. Um, and then there are these little cutaways to the sister sort of frantically texting. Really? See, I felt like from the beginning, right off the bat, I felt like I was coming into the story like halfway through Beautiful Boy because mm. you, it opens with Lucas Hedges coming back to the house by himself and he's like trying to get in and he can't because they lock right. the door. So it looks like he's going to like rob the place. He's like mm. upset. He's like very like he moves in a very like aggressive violent way right so it looked to me it was like oh he's already high um he's like coming back to try to rob the house right. um and they pull in and the sister has this look on her face of like terror and mm-hmm. you can't tell the, how julie roberts is, like it could it's it's there's a lot of feeling you can't tell if she's like super happy or, mm-hmm. or very scared and she is both right um but then and then she comes with with the open arms and he's he's fine and he's sweet and he hugs right. her and he's not high. Uh, right. So I feel like there was a switch even before that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think in part of, I think the genius of Julie Roberts performance in this movie, which to me is the thing that I could commend about the most uh, is the way that she vacillates between um, making excuses and apologies for her son, for Ben, mm-hmm. um, for trying to rationalize um, and explain what he's doing and try to reframe him mm-hmm. as like a victim. And then she'll just turn on a dime and just be so full of rage and hurt and betrayal. Um, and she kind of is on this sort of peripatetic thing throughout the movie where she keeps going through and you'll see her from scene to scene, just alternate. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, I think she, she lays it all out there in this movie. Oh, absolutely. This is a, one of the best. A plus. Yeah. Amazing job. This is one of the best performances she's ever, ever given. And I would say that I that same that same uh, quality Lucas Hedges brings as well, because moment to moment, this is part of the tension of the movie is that I, you're like, 
is he is he genuinely mm-hmm. happy? Is he upset? That when he starts he starts crying at one point, uh, mm-hmm. listening to his sister sing in church on Christmas Eve, and like I started crying, and I don't usually mm-hmm. cry at not animal things, right? <laughs> and that was pre animal things. Yeah, um, yeah. He, no, the way he breaks down. Uh, and then you see where he starts to have little interactions with people in the community who are like who are also drug dealers or drug addicts, and so then then he turns quickly, and you're like, wait a minute, is he, is this all a ploy? Is he just like trying to get out right now? Has he like set this all up? So he mm-hmm. looks like he he switches right back into like almost like addict mode, um, uh, like you know, eyes darting. Mm. You don't know what he's gonna do, and then he goes kind of goes back into like just being like a little boy again. Like he's so good at. at, at kind of giving off that energy right so they both do this dance kind of back mm-hmm. and forth where you're like and i think that's a really accurate way of 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 playing people right it's like yeah no i think that you know all four non-child members of the family all play mm. it very very well yeah the sister's amazing i don't know who that actress is she is in she actually was france mcdormand's daughter in three billboards the one oh. and, and then she was leslie mann's daughter in blockers Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. She's great. She's great. Um, so uh but yeah, so I think that yeah, so that that first half of the movie before we get this sort of um I guess you could say like this inciting incident that turns the movie into a different movie halfway through um where it's just really f- digging in deep emotionally um in particular on this mother-son relationship. Um and um kind of showing you all the things that Holly has to do to make sure that she can trust Ben, uh, all the little steps that she has to take um, to protect him and to protect the family, and like they're they're doing this tightrope act. Um, oh my god, it's basically that, that's really incredible. So intense, like when yeah. you know, again, like right at the beginning of the movie when they mm-hmm. agree to let him spend the twenty four hours, she's going to have her eyes on him yeah. every moment, and I really liked that, and I kept comparing it to beautiful boy again mm-hmm. where in beautiful boy you have the story where, the, where it's basically it's like about the father and like it was very like um oh his dreams of what his son would be like were dashed and how sad is that for him mm-hmm. and then he like you know go goes and, and and helps him out and then and then decides it's like up to him to like give up and step away and, and not to like critique that approach to addiction like that's not the issue but it was like this very like um i don't know um the the compared to this like a female version motherly version of like no we're just we're here we're gonna get shit done it's less about like how sad is it that this and that it's like nope you're here i'm gonna do this and then we're gonna do that and then we're gonna make sure you're not doing this i need to check check your pants like take your shoes off like it's way more practical um and less kind of like wallowing in her own sadness about it mm-hmm. even though you do see her have these moments right where she breaks down out of out of fear and, and frustration um, it's way more right. action oriented. Well, well, yeah, and it's also I think related to the the structure, the time structure that you pointed out. You know, I think that if if Beautiful Boy was about twenty four hours in particular, in which it's one of the many scenes where we see Corell driving around looking for his son, um, it might have felt more like that. Um, you know, and there's scenes where you know where Chalamet comes home and he's and you know forces him to take a pee test right away and. All that stuff. So that's in there. I think that, you know, Beautiful Boy had a much more sort of amorphous structure to it. Mm. Um, and this is like just, you know, diamond hard structure. So. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. Well, also, I guess in Beautiful Boy, like at the point where he becomes a heroin addict, he doesn't live at home anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, like when it gives you that intensity and, and that setup, it feels like the whole situation is a lose-lose. Like once you've entered that door of addiction, like her options are to either 
step away and like let something tragic happen or to never stop monitoring. It becomes like basically right. someone with a, uh, a, you know, a persistent illness that you cannot stop taking care of. Yes. Uh, so the turning point at the halfway in the film and the, and the point at which Rebecca began to feel deeply betrayed. Um, I was, I was looking at you. So oh, yeah. Cold. And, I, the funny thing, and honestly, it hadn't even occurred to me. Um, partially because I knew that like, I knew how it all ended. So I knew that yeah. there wasn't really like a warning I need to give you. I mean, it's still pretty um, rough at the end. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so what happens is so the first half of the movie is just, um, starts in the middle of the day on Christmas Eve. And then, you know, we follow Holly and Ben as after this family negotiation where they decide under what circumstances Ben can stay. Uh, and then they, you know, Holly and Ben go out to a mall and then they go to he take him to a meeting because he's feeling shaky uh, and then back to do some more shopping then back to the house. And then they all bundle up and go out to um, church for Christmas Eve service. And um, when they come back, uh, they get to their house and the house has been um, broken into. And things are kind of knocked over. It looks like nothing's been taken. But what is missing is their dog, uh, whose name is Ponce, as in Ponce de Leon, not Pons, as in Pons Cold Cream, which I feel like the cast couldn't quite agree. I thought it was Ponzi, as in Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Did you? Mm-hmm. No. Because <laughs> when he writes the note, he writes P-O-N-C-E. Oh, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Ponce de Leon, not Pons Cold Cream. Mm. Uh, so the dog is missing. And um, the two younger kids, so yeah, Julia and Courtney B. Vance have two young kids together. I couldn't tell they were supposed to be twins or not. They looked around the same age. Um, mm. But uh, no, no, they weren't because he sings his little song yeah. about the different ages they were. They're adorable. Um, so uh, then the little little kids start to freak out because they're like... Rebecca starts to freak out. Yeah. So yeah, the little kids and Rebecca are both inconsolable. <laughs> I'm trying to console fictional characters and a real life podcast co-host at the same time. Um, and your hands full. And uh, quite a lot happening. And, uh, and so then, uh, so Ben immediately, and Ben has a strong attachment to Pons, uh, Ponce because, um, you know, we hear a bit of backstory where Ben had overdosed a few months prior and, um, and then he had, you know, done it in the home whenever no one was there. And when his mom got home, he was on the stairs and Ponce was licking his face and that was keeping him conscious. And that, uh, and the doctor said that that's part of why he survived is because Mm -hmm. the dog was licking his face to keep him conscious. And so now the dog is gone and Ben feels very certain that this is a targeted attack against him because when he left to go get clean, he left a lot of um, loose ends around this town. Um, he fucked over a lot of people, uh, a lot of a lot of a uh, lot of dealers, a lot of people connected to dealers, um, just a lot of unsavory types. And um, and so he's like, somebody out there did this. And I'm going to find out who. And he tries to go because he's like, I fucked up my family's Christmas again. I'm trying to be good. I'm going to go find who did this. And uh, and then Holly uh, insists on accompanying him. And um, and then it turns into a different movie entirely. Yeah, a little bit of a uh, caper. Yeah. You meet some uh, some of the unsavory characters that he was wrapped up with before. And it's you know trying to find the pieces to get this dog back. I do think that the part about this that the, that is the hardest to swallow is that like, although I would go to the ends of the earth to find teacup of course um it does feel a little unrealistic at the at point i mean i understand his his point about like this will continue and they will thread my family and like what else will these people do for this money but it seems like maybe let's like save it for the morning or like do it a different way um right it seems unrealistic that they would end up going to all these sort of like 
drug houses um and uh yeah i don't know being being in so much danger yeah especially um his mother yeah uh i would agree uh, I feel like this and I was wondering, I, I thought that we might diverge on this because I, I was like, I think Rebecca's going to say that she absolutely would do this for a pet. Um, and I, you know, would say that, like, yeah, I, I, it would be a hard thing to sleep through the night knowing that, like, oh, you know, someone took the pet and they're out there and like the family's upset. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it, it's it's a contrivance that for me. It doesn't fully jump the shark for the movie, but it really breaks the spell of I think how sort of perfect and nuanced the first half is when it's all just organic circumstances that are fully believable. Um, and then it just kind of takes this really strained turn into like conflict. And, um, and then now we're going on this, this, yeah, the sort of madcap tour of all these like various, like, you know, uh, burned out haunts around this town, mm-hmm. um, you know, and getting increasingly into just kind of cliche territory yep. uh, yeah. with the characters and um, with the, the different drug people that we're meeting. Mm-hmm. And this is where I missed Beautiful Boy because what Beautiful Boy did perfectly was it did not have like an American moralism about like drugs and drug users. Um, it was very European feeling and very non-judgmental. Um, whereas I think in this movie, like it it ha- it's, it it just has a much more sort of provincial like ooh spooky drug users mm, um, kind of like thing going a guy on. Guy in a leather jacket at a pawn shop, like right. It's a shade. Yeah. It's this kind of thing where it's, and also I think it, 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 it embodies them with like, they're sinister, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like they're the bad guys. They're sinister, mm-hmm. um, which is unnecessary. Um, and, um, you know, so I think that that is another reason why the second half of the movie for me doesn't work as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that like I could, I could buy, I could buy Ben doing doing this following mm-hmm. for the dog but right. like i can't imagine any like mother i know not being like we're going right home fucking now or i'm mm-hmm. taking you back to that rehab center like that she was going along with trying to find this dog is the part that i i stopped it's it was hard it was hard to um yeah to buy yeah it's uh it's 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 a little tough um but not, and, it's not it doesn't ruin the movie no i mean it doesn't doesn't ruin the movie for me but it is like a major flaw in the movie, I think. And I think the movie kind of hangs its entire um, plot on it. Um, For the second half, yeah, yeah. it's kind of weird. Um, so it makes it a little difficult. But, um, but you know, I, but the movie is also, you know, I think this movie is probably going to touch a lot of viewers. And unfortunately, I think it's going to, you know, trigger a lot of viewers because mm-hmm. this is obviously like, you know, in the movie, uh, Ben, uh, we find his backstory is that mm. he'd had like a small... Uh, like injury from sports when he was in his mid-teens and then he had a doctor who prescribed him some um, I can't remember what painkillers she mentioned mm. um, but uh, but yeah and then he just kind of got hooked on it and uh, so this is not a movie about like a teenager who's like doing tons of blow uh, you know it's definitely like an opioid story mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And small town small a lot town, of small town hit by it um, that was one thing I was kind of wondering when you when you see him start to run into some of his old characters mm-hmm. and you find out that he was a dealer and that right. he was responsible for some deaths. Like I was kind of wondering how, how that, if like maybe he had sold a bad bat, like mm-hmm. the way the, the word starts from Julia Roberts being in church, just watching her daughter singing to be to them going back to church and her having to apologize to another woman uh, mm-hmm. whose daughter died from an overdose. Um, and just seeing how like where they, what all the effect of what has happened to him hasn't on the community mm-hmm. uh, at yeah. large. Uh, I think, yeah, that will be hard to watch. Yeah, it shows, yeah, it shows the community impact. And, uh, and it also, it has a scene that kind of, um, 
I think, as it should, singles out um, healthcare providers that don't provide mm-hmm. life-saving, um, life-saving drugs, life-saving materials. Uh, there's a scene where uh, where Julia Roberts, where Holly uh, tries to go to a drive-through pharmacy to refill uh, an old uh, prescription of Narcan, which is a, a nasal spray meant to revive somebody who's overdosed. Uh, Holly tries to go to uh, a pharmacy to replace an older one that's given to her by someone else. And, um, and the pharmacy sort of pointedly says, like, well, we don't stock this. You have to try a different pharmacy. And she's like, well, what are you talking about? And they're like, we don't like to encourage irresponsible mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that is rooted in fact. I don't know if that's a thing that, like, you know, like, oh, we don't provide birth control or we don't provide, you know, like, mm-hmm. I, obviously we know that that's like a common conservative refrain. Right. Of, of, you know, the, any number of, of things that should exist and be readily available are considered dangerous because they're going to encourage irresponsible behavior. Um, but uh, so I think that was, you know, that was a good target for them to focus on. But no, I do think this movie is going to is going to resonate um, far and wide. And I do think that, you know, the the arc of, you know, the arc of Holly over the course of this one night, a lot of parents will sadly relate to all too well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I think that it's in, it's, it's more of a feel good cathartic thing ultimately than beautiful boy, because in beautiful boy, you do get thrown into this sort of unknowable span of time mm-hmm. and we see Corel go up and down and up and down and ultimately give up. And, um, and that's not inspiring to see, but I think it's realistic. Sure. Yeah. Uh, whereas with Julia it's just dogged determination, um, and exhaustion, mm-hmm. but like never stopping, mm-hmm. um, and just gradually going out of her mind. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I think that there's, there's definitely things. Uh, Keanu. Keanu? That's the movie where they go to all the ends of the earth to save that cat. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, I mean, if it worked for Keanu... It'll work for Ben is back. You know, that was a movie that Tiffany Hash was in before she got famous. Mm. So so hats off to that movie for giving us her. Uh, so, um, but yeah, no, I, I think this is an incredibly acted movie. Um, and, you know, I hope that I think this is by far the better Lucas had his performance over Boy Erased. Um, not He's that great he, in both. He is great in both. But this um, is a better movie. This is a better movie than Boy Erased for sure. This is like, this is, it's like, hey, guy who wrote Boy Erased, this is an actual story. This mm-hmm. is what a real story looks like. Granted, it was his life story in that, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <I was> and, <laughs> and Lucas had just crying. No, he is, I also, every time that I watch this movie and he cry, breaks down in church, I get a, just a little hiccup of a tear, mm. um, which is the closest I get. Um, because... There's some, Lucas Hedges is one of those actors that cries in a way that is so real that mm-hmm. it just like opens up your own cry faucet. It really does. Like in Manchester by the Sea, that happened yep. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manny by the Sea. Manny by the Sea. When he has his breakdown scene in that movie, it's it was like, you know, like you're just like you immediately you're just so fully emotionally engaged mm-hmm. um, because yeah he he does it in a very real way. He really does. So um, no, he's he's fantastic. Julia's fantastic. I think this is. She hasn't been making a ton of Best Actress shortlist for this because I think it just kind of came out so late in the game mm. and Best Actress is always such a competitive category. Uh, but I And she's also obviously a previous winner, been nominated several times. Uh, but this is just career best work from her. It's really amazing. Um, I love the, direct, the sort of like the turn she's taking with her roles that she does. I mean, she's she's just so much more interesting now you know, mm-hmm. than she was when she was like America's sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out that what she's always wanted to do was just play like really, really women who get to shout a lot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and she does some shouting here. That's for sure. She sure does. 
I like uh, there's one part of the movie at the beginning uh, when Courtney B. Vance is talking about how um, Ben is like he's trouble and he's dangerous. and He's never ready to come home. And how if he if he was black, he would be arrested or dead by now. I think yeah. that's what he said. Yeah. And it made me think about how like addictions like this kind of become this equalizer in a way where it's like like these these guys in these stories that we, we were watching ha- have basically have come from these privileged backgrounds. But then once once this addiction affliction happens, they kind of get the like black in America experience. Mm. It's like now you're, you're like, you know, all, the, things are no longer in your favor. You're now seen as like dangerous. You right. now have like people who don't trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a weird sort of uh, way of, of losing, even though in, in both these stories, most of these people are very privileged and are able to go to rehab and do a lot of things. Right. But you lose some of the like privilege you have in America. Um, That's interesting. Go down that road. That's interesting. Yeah. And I do love that, Courtney B. Vance has that line of dialogue just for just to give at leave an, a brief moment of lip service to any idea of intersectionality in the story. Um, but I do think it also needs to be pointed out that in terms of the ways that different drug addictions are racialized and coded, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, opioids, mm-hmm. we as white America are like, oh, our hearts with you. Crack. None of these movies happened. Yeah. We're like, oh, nope. that's we're like, that's disgusting. Yep. Crackhead. Yep. Uh, but for opioids, we're like, oh. That's so hard. We've lost so many. Uh, As though it was like a noble war. Right. Yeah. It because like, you know, it happens it's to because white the people. doctors and it's because like, who do we blame? Right. Um, yeah. 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 Whereas, yeah. Whereas All right. With- never mind. This movie sucks. Send it back. <laughs> what are you giving it? Send it back. Going back to what I said earlier about our primary focus and our reviews. <laughs> oh, we were talking about the craft for so long. It's already been 40 minutes. And that means the 40 minutes we were talking about the movie, the craft before we started. Right. Yeah. This that's, podcast. that's what we're talking about, obviously. Um, well, so for me, this is a consume, um, just because, uh, mm. just cause as I mentioned, uh, I, I do have a major issue with the sort of like the almost sitcom contrivance it takes halfway through. Um, and, uh, and the movie kind of just fucks around too much with like basic ass drug cliches, uh, in that second half. It does have, um, a truly remarkable final scene that is so beautifully shot and performed. Um, but, uh. And and Julie Roberts is is a binge it in this, and Lucas Hedges is a binge it, um, but uh, but the movie as a whole, I have to give a consume. Uh, I'm giving it a binge it. Okay. Um, I still think it. I still think it's it's worth. It, it makes up for that sort of one weird thing, and I would even I would even want to watch it again mm-hmm. to see if I'm missing something because I I do feel like it. There is this very legitimate angle of like he he knows that people know that he's home and now they can start collecting on these debts. And if he really did feel, they really did feel like these things were in danger. I don't know. I feel like I'd watch it again before doubling down on, on disliking that part. Fair. Um, but, uh, it is rated R for language throughout and some drug use. <laughs> and that brings us to our second movie of the week, which is Mary Queen of Scots. Queen of France at 16 and widowed at 18, Mary Stuart defies pressure to remarry. Instead, she returns to her native Scotland to reclaim her rightful throne. But Scotland and England fall under the rule of the compelling Elizabeth I. Each young queen beholds her sister in fear and fascination. Rivals in power and in love, the two must decide how to play the game of marriage versus independence. England does not look so different from Scotland. Aye, they are sisters. Queen Elizabeth, 
Your cousin Mary has returned to take up her throne in Scotland. The Queen! My dear cousin Elizabeth, I hope we might meet in person, that I might embrace you. But ruling side by side, we must do so in harmony, not through a treaty drafted by men lesser than ourselves. My dear cousin, let our nations cherish each other as we would. Two kingdoms united. How did the world come to this? Wise men servicing the whims of women. Jason. Mm-hmm. This came right after The Favourite. It, it was a big month for period pieces. Starring Joe Alwyn. Yeah, that he is uh, um, chastaining. He is chastaining. You said, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Mary, Queen of Scots. Wow. <laughs> There's so much to say. Lucky we have nothing to do tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the past the liberals want. <laughs> I'll see myself out now. So Thank you. So good. Yeah. Well, there's your contribution. <laughs> I've been sitting on that for two weeks. I saw this movie two weeks ago. I wondering why you were shifting so much during Ben's back. I know. Can I get to my line? I have a line. I tried it out on somebody. That's, they didn't think it was that great. I was watching Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> um, put that on your plate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Sir Sharonin. Mm. She binge. She binges it. She binges, I'll binge her. She binges on this it. role. I don't know what I'm saying. She does a I'd great wood, job. And woodchucker. <laughs> Twice on Sundays. Um, Margot Robbie. Wow. She is really something else. <laughs> what? Shut up. <laughs> Put that in your pipe, Jose. <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are great. I'm all tuckered out from Ben is back. Go oh, ahead. You take, I, the, you take the lead on this one. Oh, no. I'll try. Uh, so even though um, this is not my pick of the week this week, this might be the one that I actually, and even though I feel like I'm not going to give it a pinch it, um, I feel like this is my actual favorite movie this week. Uh, <laughs> really? Because, because it, is, it is the most, by far, the most drag movie. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It is the draggiest and, and kind <laughs> of campiest way. I mean, the wigs. <laughs> it's wiggy. It, it, it's wiggy. It's a wiggy movie. And like right from the very beginning, like I was I was just gagging Um, the wigs they put on Saoirse Ronan in this movie, like the way that they're structured. Um, There's also um, it opens with sort of like a tease of the end scene Mm -hmm. um, and then it goes back to tell the story of how they got there. Not even that's campy. And it's campy as fuck because they show we're following like, you know, we're tracking the back of Saoirse's enormous wig (laughs) as she is like walking to something, something we don't know what. And she's wearing this like black floor length gown and then she just walks into a room full of people and puts her arms out and then two, one to ten on each side rips off the black dress revealing a red dress underneath it. Mm-hmm. It was a full-on reveal. It was a full-on reveal. It was a beheading moment because she wanted it to be. Yeah, yeah. No, it was a festive beheading moment. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> Mariah's right over there looking at me. Yeah, sorry, Rebecca's locked eyes with my Mariah Carey Christmas vinyl across the room. <laughs> now I'm feeling very festive. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, Sersha wants a festive beheading. Who among us wouldn't? <laughs> um, and, uh, and so there's that. Uh, there is, um, you know, so the, yeah, the wigs and the costumes and everything are, are drag fun throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, um, of course, you know, at the center, this sort of female rivalry, 
that ultimately culminates in a non-historical scene um, in which the two finally meet uh, that feels not unlike uh, Pacino and De Niro's final meeting in Heat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Uh, Also, I mean, Margot Robbie is just like a straight up mommy dearest um, sort of or uh, not even mommy dearest. uh, What happened to baby Jane? (laughs) Homage. Yeah, they really kind of go in um, with uh, that character arc. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is this is not the most this is not exactly Kate Blanchett playing this character. (laughs) No, it's not. Um, It's sort of like it's by far the most. how should I put this? Wiggy? It's by far the wiggiest um, and kind of most n- pathetic portrayal of Elizabeth the First. It really seen. is. It's it just really kind of like is. the movie's like this bitch. <laughs> She's crazy. She's so pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> she can't do anything. No. Oh, she's so needy and insecure. Uh, oh, and now she's ugly. Uh-huh. Oh, she's not even good at art. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> can't even do basic arts and crafts. <laughs> but somehow she's keeping it all together. You know, at least she doesn't look like a badger, uh, like like <laughs> Queen Anne and the favorite. Although, interestingly, so Queen Anne was the last of the Stuarts, um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Mary in this is a Stuart. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. that would explain all of the, uh, why Mary was such a mess, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or Anne was such a mess, rather. Uh, oh, by the way, guys, Rebecca saw the favorite. I need to watch it again. <laughs> she thought it was too sad. I got really, yeah, I thought it was really sad. She thought it was going to be funnier. Mm-hmm. The dancing, though. Yes, the dancing, which I was... I should watch it again this week. Which was Joe Alwyn. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, so we have this, to Rebecca's point... Oh, also, we were still talking about how yeah. how draggy this is. Uh-huh. There's a straight-up drag character um, yes. in... You, please, take it away, I can't. Well, so, yes. I've already, I can't. So, to Rebecca's point um, about this being the past that liberals want, um, and, and Vulture ran a really great piece on this, um, basically this, this movie is now probably the most glaring kind of, um, um, perpetrator of this idea of refashioning history into like a wokeness lesson and if perhaps bestowing wokeness where there was not as much. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so it makes Mary Queen of Scots, Saoirse Rowan's character, into this like inclusive, <laughs> queer positive, trans positive, sex positive woman, <laughs> um, despite being a Catholic. Uh, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, that's a good point. I mean, um, and uh, and there's and so there's one of the characters that she has sort of in her court is um is a who a man who appears to just be sort of just a flaming lutist gay, gay dude, yeah, flautist, flautist, um, lute lute player slash jester of sorts and um and there's a scene early on where he kind of like identifies as non-binary to her and she's just kind of like girl you do you <laughs> she's like yes queen yeah and he's like yes queen that's the first time it actually historically was said yeah exactly you know in fact i think that was on, on uh, drunk history um <laughs> one episode uh so yeah so this um this gay dude is then and then so then she and then, and then yeah let's just say he's not the only gay character in the movie what? um and uh and then it, it's kind of there's i mean i don't want to spoil it uh but let's just say um but i will spoil part of it by saying that this movie some might say has a bury your gaze problem um but to yes. that but to that i would say history has a bury your gaze problem <laughs> yes so um, so I wouldn't say this movie is quite Braveheart um, with uh, what they mm, did to mm-hmm. a gay character in that film. But so 
so yeah, so we have basically we have this story of yeah these two women who are um, you know by by patriarchal design are pit against one another, but um, but are each as depicted in this profoundly aware of the way that they can only be understood by the other, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yet are kept apart by all like the shitty men um, who are sort of in each of their courts trying to pit them against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, which kind of comes to a head in this fictional scene where they do finally meet. Mm-hmm. And you see how uh, how clever they both are. I, I think that the the games sort of back and forth and the the continue uh, political maneuvers were very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're you know, it's it's hard to sort of sell that uh, that side of history because it, it covers like the whole span of like her coming back to Scotland at like what eighteen or twenty two, all the way until her. So it covers like forty years or something, mm. um, and so all the kind of different factions that that you know come and go and, and alliances and allegiances, um, I think they covered it well. I, I you know I'm sure there are things that are not necessarily historically accurate, um, right? But a, but a lot of those things I think were I'm trying to think through. I mean, yeah, the things you know, a lot of it was pretty like at least on point in theory. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I had no when I was watching it, I was like fully engrossed, and I was like, maybe yeah, there was a voice in the back of my mind being like, this is enjoyable, but maybe not great. <laughs> um, but what I do think is genuinely great about the movie is Sersha's performance. Oh my god, Jesus, she's so amazing! I didn't know she had it in her. Oh, I totally, it's, I felt it immediately. I mean, she as soon as I saw that trailer, I was like, this is the role she was born to play. She is so commanding mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm. movie and she's so tiny but <laughs> she's so commanding this feels like like Saoirse's play playtime this is like just her doing her thing and mm-hmm. everything else is just like around yes queen <laughs> uh it is yeah it, it definitely feels <laughs> like an e at the end she, old english right. she uh yeah no she she just owns the movie she owns the movie this is yet another nomination worthy performance that I don't think is going to make the Mm-mm, cut. Probably not. Um, I think Julia might have a better chance than Sersha at this point. Um, but I think what Sersha with every new movie shows us more and more of her, like she's developing as an actor and she started off great. Like she was literally nominated for an Oscar for her first fucking movie for atonement when she was like 11 and every single thing she's done since then, she's shown growth. Her talent has deepened. Um, and I think Mary Queen of Scots is in some ways the most daunting role she's taken mm-hmm. on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet she just plays it with such confidence and passion and fire. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, she kind of, I mean, she kind of acts circles on Margot Robbie, not that they have that many scenes together. And weirdly, Margot Robbie got an out of the fucking blue SAG award nomination for this movie. Really? Yeah. I feel like this movie, if it wasn't for the two of them, especially Saoirse Ronan, this could have been like a uh, what's the like with the the Razzie or like whatever you give the worst oh, movie award right, to like this right. movie is like on the brink of two different things and yeah. they they raise it up to a level mm. of it being th- making all that like oh, that was really weird but fun and mm. worth seeing where it could have been like watch this shit show yeah um, yeah no I, I I would agree uh like yeah the the, the credit goes to them. Uh, for the ways that this movie does actually work just because they sell their characters so well. And, and you know, I was kind of conflicted on Margot Robbie's performance, um, partially because it was so difficult to imagine her playing the character. And, you know, so many people play Queen Elizabeth. And normally, you know, you have, like, Kate Blanchett playing her young, Judy Dench playing her old. Margot Robbie isn't quite them. 
Um, but I'm into her. I'm into this chameleon situation she has going on. I mean, I guess maybe for me, she's not a chameleon. For me, I look at her and I'm just like, oh, there's Margot Robbie. She's so beautiful. <laughs> um, even though they try to like, you know, they give her, you know, pock face makeup in this after she um, gets the, what she get? Uh, she got the, the shingles. <laughs> she got like, no, uh, what did she get? Pox. Pox. Yeah. Uh, so then she gets all ugly. So yeah, shingles. Yeah. She got, she got the shingles. And, um, but no, she, in, in the final scene between the two of them, um, she comes through for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it's quite a virtuoso showdown between the two of them. So I guess this is, this is like a campy movie in a way that by movies from the bygone eras were campy where it was sort of like, you know, two actresses of great stature playing historical figures and just sort of like duking it out with like not great writing and like dubious supporting actors. And like a whole um, carnival behind them. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, so, but I mean, I would say I, I might like the, I think I like this movie better than the first Elizabeth movie the, with Kate Blanchett in it. Mm, interesting. Um, you know, this movie also, I should point out, has a female director, Josie Rourke. And, mm. uh, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I, I, I watched it. It's been, I don't know, about a month since I watched it. And so it's not fresh and top of mind. But watching it with a friend uh, while I was just like, I like this. I, I was yeah. I, I was fully engrossed, um, you know, and then I started to like see a lot of very mixed reviews of it. And I was like, OK, I, I see their points. Yeah. Um, so I do think this is like it's kind of a guilty pleasure. It is. The movie's a guilty pleasure, but the performance is just brilliant. I kind of want to say binge it. I mean, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I I think. Yeah. OK. I'll go with binge it uh, <laughs> just because I, you know, is it my pick of the week? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, because You're like, can you leave? I need to go see it right now. I'll just be honest because like I really did enjoy watching it. And um, and I like all of its all of its like revisionist historical wokeness. Yeah. Why not? Um, I was like, good. Let's remember history this way and take a lesson from it. Um, and I guess apparently there is, um, you know, she was known to be fairly like progressive inclusive. Um, you know, and, uh, there's according to that vulture thing I read, despite, cause I, I did hit my article number, by the way, I hit my article limit for uh. vulture within like the first week of the month. Um, so I'm like trying to use my phone, but anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, why not? You know, like it's, yeah, it's a guilty pleasure binge it, um, with a genuine non guilty pleasure binge it for the performances. I double that exactly. Um, it's rated R for some violence and sexuality. Last movie, Jason, this week, which is our pick of the week, uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. What a weird week it's been. <laughs> Bitten by a radioactive spider in the subway, Brooklyn teenager Miles Morales suddenly develops mysterious power that transform him into the one and only Spider-Man. When he meets Peter Parker, he soon realizes that there are many others who share his special high-flying talents. Miles must now use his newfound skills to battle the evil Kingpin, a hulking madman who can open portals into other universes and pull different versions of Spider-Man into our world. In your universe, there's only one Spider-Man. But there is another universe. It looks and sounds like yours, but it's not. My name's Miles Morales. Hey, kid. You like me? How? Jason, you have some explaining to do. Oh, no. Like, all of this. What's going on here? Oof. It's going to be tough. Uh, despite putting this as my pick of the week, uh, I... Haven't seen it. <laughs> have not seen it. 
Uh, no, I mean, I, I don't have a lot to say about it. Uh, it's just really good. Uh, so, yeah, so this is, it kind of does the impossible because we have had, more than any other character, we have had more of Spider-Man um, in the last, like, 15, 16 years um, than anything else. And yet what this movie does is it gives you um, it, by far the freshest take on it. Um, and it makes it feel like brand new. You kind of don't feel like the, the fatigue, the, you know, Marvel fatigue, superhero fatigue, franchise fatigue, all goes out the window um, in this animated story. And it kind of re- it sort of reconnects viewers with the excitement of reading a comic book because it is it is animated very in the really sort of unique innovative way that suggests a comic book right down to you know you see the sort of like the grain and the little circles in the background of the uh, of the drawings you see uh, well this actually made me feel like it was a mistake um i uh i went i was like full grandpa watching this movie when i uh, I was like this movie hurts my eyes because um they do a lot of the the shading behind characters Mm -hmm. like red and blue the way you would see in a comic book just sort of like the outlines Mm -hmm. they do that in this movie and to me it looked like when you're watching a 3d movie and you take your glasses off oh yeah Mm -hmm. and so i'm like just squinting like oh what am i watching um and uh, so, and I was, I was genuinely throughout the movie, I was never quite convinced that I wasn't supposed to have on 3D glasses. Mm. Uh, it never stopped. I was like, I'm not sure, <laughs> um, but I'm here and I'm enjoying this. So, uh, so yeah, so this is uh, a really sort of, I already used the word fresh, it's funky. Um, it is, um, it is, it's sadly, apparently the only way that we can have, um, so if a person of color to be the protagonist in a Spider-Man movie is to make it animated. Um, but uh, but here we have it. We have this character named Miles Morales, who's voiced by Shamik Moore from Dope. And um, and he is a um, Afro-Hispanic teen in the Bronx. And, um, and the movie is really um, kind of like, it's very self-aware uh, and very savvy about the ways that it sort of like plays with its knowledge of how much glut there is of Spider-Man. And so the way that it kind of like plays with telling you the origin story, um, the way that even like the very sort of central conceit of the plot in which this portal is open to other dimensions in which there are other Spider-Mans. Mm-hmm. And then all the different Spider-Men mm-hmm. are brought into this one story. And it's not Spider-Man in the sense of like, oh, there's Tobey Maguire and there's Andrew Garfield and there's Tom Holland. Um, it's not like that. Um, it's more from like the different, the expanded, extended comic universe. Mm. Um, and so you have like Spider-Man Noir, uh, who's voiced by Nicolas Cage. Uh, you have, uh, Penny Parker, who's voiced by Kimiko Glenn from Orange is the New Black. Um, and most remarkably, you have Spider-Ham, AKA Peter Porker, who is voiced by John Mulaney. Mm. which is a treat and a half. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the movie is kind of, there's this really postmodern thing where it just has, it acknowledges that there are all these different realms and realities where similar stories are unfolding and every different realm has its Peter Parker. It has its Mary Jane. It has its Aunt May. Um, the primary Aunt May, by the way, in this is voiced by Lily Tomlin. Um, mm, big quite, win for you. Quite a cast across the board. No, I mean, just like, so yeah, who else has voices in this? Mahershala Ali, 
um, Brian Tyree Henry, Zoe Kravitz. Um, the villain is voiced by Katherine Hahn, which you had me at that. <laughs> this also feels like a pretty campy Superman or Spider-Man. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's not so much campy as it is just really playful and sort of deconstructionist. Mm. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's just kind of like a wild good time and um, really smartly written. Uh, really, um, you know, it just feels like a progressive move to make um, with the franchise. And, uh, yeah, I'm telling you, I, I didn't have much to say about it. Like, it's not, you know, at the end of the day, it's still not, you know, it's still a superhero movie, um, which is not, you know, my favorite thing. But it, it is, it's a lot more just flat out fun uh, than we've seen from a lot of them. And um, I think especially for, um, you know, for people who love comic books, this movie is going to feel like such a gift um, because more than anything else, it translates the exact experience of reading a comic book um, into the experience of watching a film. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's your pick of the week. You're giving it a binge it. Yeah, um, binge you, so this, this is how you, uh, this is how you debated at the film critic circle. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, well, it, it kind of, it, like I mentioned, it kind of won by shame um, mm, <laughs> since mm-hmm. its competitor was Isle of Dogs. Right, right. And uh, Ingu made very clear to everyone <laughs> that wasn't going to, not on her watch, what that would say about us if we went with that <laughs> one. Uh, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse is rated PG for frenetic sequences of, an- you son of a bitch, <laughs> of animated ritualistic violence, thematic elements, mild language. <laughs> It doesn't have ritualistic violence, nor does Roma. <laughs> Suspiria was two months ago, and you're still working that in. I love it. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of The Binge. Um, Jason, you're on Twitter at excessfaggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Uh, be sure to subscribe, and thank you so much again. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There goes the binge. binge.